First thing I can remember is that we were sitting in a bar, my wife and I, having drinks, and we were on some kind of a vacation, I suppose spring break vacation, and we were celebrating the first day of it. Like we usually do when we go on vacation. You know, we, we flew out of Atlanta. We landed on the mainland. We took a boat to where we are right now. And now we're here. Our final destination for now. Sitting in this nice hotel bar. In some kind of a, maybe, I think it's a foreign country. It may be something like um, Cozumel. It may be, it's some, maybe something Mexican. Someplace in Mexico, I think. You know, one of these places that, like, Americans want to go to when they want to go to a foreign country. A place that's, like, populated by other Americans so that they can feel safe. And so we're sitting there in this American bar in Mexico. And Jessica, my wife, is complaining about her drink. And she's saying, like, I don't want to be like this, but there's no umbrella. I was like, what do you mean? And she says, in the brochure, there's always these umbrellas in the drinks. Where's my umbrella? And I look in her drink, and I look in my drink. You know, these Applebee's-looking blue concoctions with some kind of a, just a, a, a really stupid name, like a, a Bahama breeze or like a, a Bellini sunset or I don't know something like that something with like a lot of ice a lot of food coloring and just like a little bit of tequila in it and sure enough it's true it's like the 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 drink um not only does it look like just blue Pepsi but it looks like you know they didn't put an umbrella in there and she's got a point you know and she's like you know we just traveled all day to get here and we came here based on the marketing materials and the marketing materials all promised a lot of things. And if they can't deliver on those promises, even if they're as small as the little umbrellas in the drinks, then I, you know, I, I'm, I'm not, I got to say, I'm not happy yet. I'm not happy. And I'm like, I understand you have a point and we're just tired at this point, right? So we're sitting there kind of in silence for a few minutes. I think just because we're we're very tired from the long plane ride and the boat ride after that. And we're just like looking around and we actually notice suddenly that there's this commotion over at the end of the bar. Two guys who are just talking really loudly and engaging the bartender and some of the Islander staff in song. And I look over and I'm like, I recognize those two guys. 
And Jessica does too, sure enough, because we had just been watching a couple of movies the night before. We wa- we did a double feature. We watched the movie Aliens, and uh, you know, then we watched uh, the film Independence Day. We were doing like an alien science fiction double feature. And we noticed that from one movie, from Aliens, that's friggin' Bill Paxton down there at the end of the bar. And Jessica says, I thought he was dead. And I said, I, I did too, but, you know, we all thought Nelson Mandela was dead, so I guess he's not. I, you know, there's Bill Paxton, right? He's alive and kicking, and he's down there at the end of the bar singing with the star of the second feature, Independence Day. He's singing with... Bill Pullman, who plays the president in that movie. So it's like the two Bills. Bill Paxton and Bill Pullman are singing there at the end of the bar, and they're drinking and everything. And uh, we're like, well, this, you know, we're, we're instantly forgetting the umbrella problem. This is kind of exciting. And we're sitting there for kind of like 15 minutes or so, suddenly with like this new energy. We're trying to work up our nerve to talk to these guys. And finally... The two Bills uh, disengage with the locals, and they're sitting there just kind of talking, having their private conversation over the same blue Applebee's concoction as us. And um, I just kind of make a bold move because I'm on vacation, and on vacation you make bold moves. And I ask the uh, bartender to send them down <laughs> to Bahama Breezes, right? Which he does. And uh, they go down there, and the bartender kind of motions to us when he gives them the drinks and said, oh, it's on them. And they look down at me, and they're like, hey. They both got sunglasses on. (laughs) And they come down, and they start talking to us, and they're just the nicest guys, Bill Pullman and Bill Paxton. We're kind of... We, we're not really talking about their filmography because we want we don't want to be like those people. We want to engage with them as that they're like normal human beings, not necessarily celebrities. And it turns out that they are totally, genuinely sweet guys. And the first thing that we talk about is how neither one of us got umbrellas in our drinks. None of us did, right? And we find out that celebrities are treated no differently when it comes to tiny little umbrellas in your tropical drinks. And so finally we get around to saying like, so um, what are you doing down here, Mr. Paxton, Mr. Pullman? And Bill Paxton takes it upon himself. He's like, well, funny you should ask. I'm actually shadowing this man right here, this big, beautiful man, Mr. Pullman. And I'm going to I'm going to play Bill Pullman in the story of his life. I'm like, that's interesting. So you're like playing you're an actor, but you're actually playing another actor in a movie. And he's like, I wouldn't be the first one. You know, you got all these people playing Marilyn Monroe these days. Why can't Bill Paxton play Bill Pullman? And I said, well, I guess it's kind of weird because, you know, and then I suddenly remember my place. I'm talking to actors. Actors need to be pampered. Their egos. Right. And I, I was about to say that, well, Mr. Pullman, I understand, but you're no Marilyn Monroe. I mean, and also you're, you guys are kind of contemporaries. It's one, weird for like two actors who came up in the same era of filmmaking to. Um, but anyway, I, you know, we're like, OK, that's great. That's really cool. And Bill Pullman's like, yeah, this guy, Bill Paxton, man, he's been busting my balls all day, asking me all sorts of questions. He's super method. He's super method. <laughs> 
<laughs> and we're like, okay, well, you know, hey, man, if it works for you, that's great. When's the movie come out? He's like, oh, man, I got to get my agents and everybody in line. So they're going into all this Hollywood mumbo jumbo. And I'll, I'll be honest with you right there. That's kind of where my wife and I sort of phase out. And any minute now, we're realizing it's getting kind of late. The sun's going down outside. You know, real nice Bahama sunset, even though we're not in the Bahamas, I don't think. And uh, we're looking for an opening to leave. Okay, So finally, we just kind of say, well, guys, I mean, best of luck to you, honestly. We're going to be here for a few more days. You know, hey, I'd love to, uh, if I run into you again, buy you another drink. And they're like, we'll buy you one, man. You look like a nice guy. And I'm like, thanks, guys. Yeah, I really appreciate that. So we (laughs) part ways and we take off to our hotel room to check in. So we get up to the hotel room, kind of like on this high, and also we're a little bit drunk. And we're like, I can't believe we just met those two guys and how nice they were. And my wife's like, I know. So we decide, like, you know, do we want to go out for dinner? We're trying to make a decision. Do we want to go out for dinner? Do we just want to stay in for the night, recharge our batteries? Because, you know, vacations are tough. I mean, they're fun, but they're tough. Because, you know, you're constantly going from A to B to C every single day. And my wife's like, no, let's, you know, let's go to dinner. But let's not do it right now. Let's, like, maybe, I don't know, like, let's rest. Let's, you know, lay down. Let's take about two hours, and then we'll go out and see the island and get a nice dinner. And I'm like, okay, that sounds like a plan. So we're kind of laying down there, and I'm finding that I'm just, like, so restless. I feel as if... You know, I could take on the world right now because I just like met and held my liquor with two of like the most, the, the let's just be honest, like the greatest actors that have come along since I've been born, right? Since I've been on this earth. And I'm just kind of feeling too much of a rush right now. And I tell my wife, you know what? I, I don't know if I can really rest right now. Is it okay? Would you mind if I go out and just stroll the island and take a walk for a little while and, I, and I'll come back in like two hours and, and we'll go out and have dinner? She's like, yeah, sure, that's fine. And uh, I can tell she's kind of ready to get rid of me a little bit, quite honestly. <laughs> because, you know, we've been together all day long for almost 24 hours straight. And, you know, it's just been a long time. She just needs some her time. And I get that. That's fine. So so I, uh, you know, put some nice jeans on and, and I go out um, into the world to see the island. Getting out of the lobby and walking out of the hotel and onto the beach and walking down the beach and seeing all these happy vacationing tourists. Really nice. When all of a sudden I hear kind of toward this little dune, I hear over this dune the sounds of these panicking children speaking in Spanish. And uh, I go over the hill and I look down the hill. And sure enough, there are all these young Spanish children, ages of about maybe 9 to 14, kind of crowded around this bus. It doesn't seem like they're 
panicking. It just seems like they're being really loud and and um, kind of out of control. Like they, they don't have really a leader. And this bus, it seems like it's broken down. And there seems to be like this adult male who's bent under the under the bus. It's kind of like a scene at a night of the iguana or something like that. And I go up and I ask the guy if he needs help. And he actually speaks English. And he says, uh, yeah, grab me that tire iron over there. And I go and get the tire iron and I help him for the next 10 minutes or so fix the uh, fix the flat tire on the bus. And all these little Mexican children are cheering me on. They're like, yay. <laughs> and uh, and then suddenly they just start like looking distressed again. Like now that we've solved one problem, let's fix the next one. And I was like, well, what's the next problem? They say, well, we have a chaperone. He was supposed to take us to the Museum of Natural History, but he's gone. He left. And I find out that apparently the chaperone, uh, as soon as they ran into a little bit of trouble, and I guess like with the weight on his shoulders of like being responsible for all these young children, just couldn't handle it. And he just got out of the bus and like ran into the woods and never to be seen again. And uh, so I say to the bus driver, I, I'm like, um, you know, I mean, I, I've got like two hours or so on the clock. I, I guess I could... Uh, you know, take these kids on their field trip. Sure. If we can be back here, you know, by in, in two hours. And, uh, you know, it never occurs to me in this dream <laughs> that, uh, you know, young, um, children don't normally go on field trips at like, you know, at, at dusk, um, that, uh, I probably wouldn't be allowed to, uh, take these kids on a field trip anyway, because, uh, because I'm like the stranger in a strange land and I guess it could be considered kidnapping in, in most courts. But uh, nevertheless, the bus driver's like, hey, man, if you want the responsibility, you can take them. I don't know why he suddenly turned into like a New York cab driver. But yeah, anyway, so I get on the bus and I'm, uh, you know, taking the kids to the Museum of Natural History and they're all uh, having a good time singing like, you know, the wheels on the bus go round and round and all these other fables. And uh all of a sudden, there's like this another loud bang. And uh, the bus is like, you know, bumping really heavily. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, another tire pop. That's crazy. And I go up to the bus driver. And I tell the kids to be quiet. And I go up to the bus driver and I look at him and say, like, hey, was that another flat? And all of a sudden, I see that the bus driver isn't responding. And uh, then I see like a little bit of blood falling onto the floor below him. And I look and he's been shot in the chest and I hear a lo another loud bang. And I look out the window and I notice that that's the bang was not the tire going flat. It was a gunshot coming from off in the woods. And my fears and my suspicions about this are, are confirmed when I'm looking up into the, into the trees and into the bush. And there's like these bright flashes of light coming uh coming from there and i realized oh my god we're under attack and i kind of pull the bus driver by the shirt throw him to the ground get behind the wheel and sort of steer steer the kids into this closed embankment but i very quickly realized that this is not a good thing because there's no escape route and i look behind us and like a, a scene out of the treasure of the sierra madre or something all of these like bandits in the most cliched, stereotypical, and I guess racist fashion <laughs> are coming down out of the trees, out of the wilderness, you know, and uh, and seizing us, seizing our bus. Okay, and uh, I'm like, oh my god, this is 
this is bad. What have I done? I've gotten these kids into a, into a hostage situation. Uh, next thing I know, everything's fine. Um, I'm walking over a hill. I'm by myself. I don't. I don't know. It's like my subconscious mind decided to edit out the worst parts or something, or the logistics of the scene was too much to handle because I was pretty sure that I had to come out of the bus and bargain with these bandits. And so either the kids were taken hostage and they became bandits themselves, or maybe I was the hero and I saved them. But either way, I'm like walking along by myself now. I have no idea where I am, by the way. I'm without the bus. I'm miles away from my hotel, and I probably have to be back there pretty soon. Already, Jessica is probably wondering where I am. So I'm starting to worry a little bit. But fortunately... I see around the bend of the road is a tiny little gas station, like a rusted old gas station with two pumps, a little Coca-Cola machine from like the 1950s, and a single mechanic slash gas pumper, I guess. And uh, I go up to him and uh, try to kind of talk about how a guy, what a guy has to do to get a cab around here. And uh, all of a sudden, there's like this little buzzing behind us. And I look behind me, and there's this tiny little scooter coming in here. And I, I notice that it is a uh, it's a candy apple red 1982 Honda Passport. Very, very familiar with this bike by now. It's a 70 cc's, perfect little island scooter, right, that you see in all these uh, movies and uh commercials from like the early 1980s advertising the philippines and urban street life in uh in asian countries and uh there's this guy that gets off of it this european looking guy who's like wearing like a like a, like a hat and uh like a little cotton shirt with uh, island embroidery on it and he's like Hello, mate, you look like you can use a ride. And I'm like, as a matter of fact, I can use a ride. I'm stranded. I don't know. And he's like, why don't you take my bike? And uh, I say to him, like, well, I mean, don't you need it? And he's like, no, I'm done with it. I've got another ride. You, 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 I, I'll sell it to you. And I said, well, I don't really have any money on me. Um, I have like a little bit. And he's like, well, how much is a little bit? And I was like, 10 bucks. And he's like, 10 bucks? That'll go far in this place. You can have it. And so he takes the $10 from me and gives me the keys in exchange. And I get on this passport. Now, I've never ridden a motorcycle before, and I'm intimidated by, by scooters as well. But I get on it anyway, and it actually is pretty easy to me. I learn how to work the clutch and, like, roll the throttle and everything. And I'm getting on this thing. And before I know it, I'm pulling out of the gas station. I'm going down the road, right? I'm going down the little Mexican road on the way back to my hotel to meet Jessica. And uh, possibly run into uh, the uh, our celebrity friends again. Next, I know these two mean-looking bikes 
start coming over the horizon toward me. They may be like Harley Davidsons or something. I'm not much of a, a, a motorcycle guy, but uh, I know a mean-looking scooter when I see one. You know, and these are mean-looking, mean-looking mothers coming toward me. And they pass me really fast, and the dirt kicks up and just basically engulfs my tiny little scooter. And, uh, and I'm trapped in a momentary sandstorm. And as the dust settles and passes and I'm in the clear again, I hear their engines basically stopping and kind of stalling for a little bit. And then I turn my head and I notice that they are coming my way, you know, like back toward me. And I'm like running on my little passport and it's 70 cc's. The top speed on this thing is like about 35 miles per hour on a straightaway which I'm on. And before I know it, these two Harleys, man, they're like riding on either side of me. These two guys, these two big looking scary guys are looking at me like they want to run me off the road. Like, what did I do? It doesn't matter. I did something to piss them off. I guess I maybe just like intimidated them. I don't know what I did, but they're fighting back and they're coming back with a vengeance and they start fighting toward me to try and like run me off of the road. They're essentially squeezing me, riding on either side of me, getting closer and closer to me. It's like a scene out of Ben-Hur, right? And so even though I've never ridden a scooter or motorcycle or anything before, I remember this trick that I've seen in countless movies and TV shows, right? I squeeze the clutch, step on the brakes, and suddenly I stop and stall. I skid a little bit, but I stall and I stop, and that's the most important thing because these two Harleys, before they know it, are going way ahead of me, and they lose traction because they're so surprised they didn't expect me to do something like that. They thought I was a tender little snowflake, but I'm not. And they run into each other, and before I know it, there is like this gigantic like crash collision up ahead of me there's like smoke coming all over the place there's flames ooh, just big flames right going 15 feet up into the air to the tops of the of the uh of the palm trees on either side of the road and i skid and i'm just kind of like watching this just stopped there in the middle of the road just like what have i done And I look at my watch, and surely by now Jessica's wondering where I am, but I can't help myself. I can't help it. I'm a good person, and I decide to wait for an ambulance, which I hear a siren very shortly coming over the horizon. And the siren comes up and, uh, and goes up, and it basically goes right past me, once again engulfing me in a momentary sandstorm. And I'm just kind of sitting there watching the medics do their work, go out and just finding pieces of these motorcycle demons all over the, uh, all over the side of the road, <laughs> pieces of their motorcycle, as well as pieces of them. And I'm sitting there and all of a sudden the cops, here come the, uh, you know, here come the Spanish cops passing me as well. And I know that real momentarily they're going to want to speak to me because I'm the only witness, Right. And as I'm sitting there waiting for them, I'm just kind of looking down at my at my new 1982 Honda Passport, thinking about how cool it is to have this thing and 
really inspecting it up close and like no matter what happens you know I'll, I'll still get a scooter out of this whole thing at least <laughs> and I'm looking down at it at every inch of it and suddenly I notice that there's some filing that's been done and I'm noticing that uh, the serial numbers have been like rubbed off and I'm like oh my god I'm driving a hot bike oh my god so at that moment I'm facing obviously a decision um, I want to do what's moral and talk to the cops because I am the only witness. But at the same time, if I talk to them, they're going to find out that I'm writing, that I've received stolen property. And I have no idea what the laws down here are about that. I'm sure it happens a lot, but I don't know. And I remember just watching shows back home on Saturday afternoon, shows like Locked Up Abroad, right? And movies like Midnight Express and... <laughs> And remembering the fact that, like, you know, if you're if you're a white American, you, you do not want to be uh, in a in, in any kind of prison outside of your own outside of your own country. This is a bad place for you, my friend. Um, and so, like, I uh, suddenly just have I'm faced with this quandary. Right. What do I do with this bike? So I decide to uh, what I what I reason to myself is, is like, well, they went past me pretty fast, these cops, and they probably didn't see that I was on a scooter. Hmm. So maybe I can just like tell them, right, that I was just walking down the road, minding my own business, and suddenly these two motorcycles just rushed past me in, in some kind of a pissing contest, and they, uh, they crashed into each other. I could just tell them that. Fine. So I get off my bike, and I look for the closest bush and start moving the passport there so that I can conceal it. But, of course, wouldn't you know? Before I can cover up the tires, here's a cop going like, Hey, you! Hey, you! Next thing I know, I'm in the police station. It's a very busy, very small police station, about the size of like a a storage locker, and as hot as one too on on this hot summer evening. The doors are left open, so there's wildlife all over the place. There's iguanas crawling around desks. There's lizards. I'm very consciously checking all around me for snakes because snakes are always showing up in my dreams. And I know that, uh, that there are any snakes right now in the Mexican dream world, they will find me. I'm looking all around me. And it's just so overcrowded. And this Mexican police chief is sitting back being like, so tell me exactly what happened. And I tell him what happened. And he's like, so why were you there? And I tell him I was there. And he's like, so... Why you come to my country and drive a hot bike? I don't know what accent I'm doing right now, but that's what it sounded like to me. And I really try to apologize to him. I'm so sorry. And he's like, don't apologize to me. Apologize to owner. And he points over to the corner of the room. And there's like this big, fat Marlon Brando looking guy sitting there. Just imposing in, sh in, in shadows. And he looks at me and 
all 400 pounds of him, at least 150 in his face alone and his cheeks. And he's like, why do you steal my bike? And I said, sir, I didn't steal it. I'm so sorry. I was in a bind. A guy sold it to me for 10 bucks. I, I was so quick to get out of there. I didn't even look at the title uh, to, to see if it was clean. It was just I cut and dry. I'm, I really am sorry. And he's like, oh, well, I guess I can forgive you this time, my friend. And then he reaches into this little tiny little bowling ball bag that he's got. And I think he's about to like pull out a weapon or something like that. And that the Spanish police are going to endorse this guy murdering me in their police station. But instead, he pulls out two Corona beers. And he's like, you take one. And he throws a Corona beer to me. And I toast him in the air and I take a sip of it. And I say, well, thank you. And he's like, is that all? I'm like, um are you pressing charges? He's like, no, I'm not pressing charges, but I have one condition. You must drink that whole beer with me right now. And before I know it, suddenly (laughs) it's like a giant beach party just storms the police station. There's like, you know, just these girls in bikinis coming in and there's like these, uh, there's like these cabana boys serving drinks. And there's like just this, this big old beach party that's happening there in this tiny little Mexican police station in the middle of the woods. <laughs> and everybody's having a really good time. And this Marlon Brando looking guy whose bike I accidentally stole is riding around on it. <laughs> he kind of looks like those bears and like the old circuses that would like ride around on the bicycles, right? And he's like drinking his beer. And every time I like, you know, take another sip of mine, he like basically just like encourages me and calls us, calls me like a wimp. And I'm like, and I keep on trying to get out of there. I'm like, sir, sir, I am really sorry about this, but my God, I've got to get back to my wife. She's going to kill me. He's like, no, you drink another Corona and another. And he does all this. And I'm just kind of like taking little sips and occasionally just waiting for him to, you know, the novelty of just like parting with me to wear off. I'm trying to, to be very boring, I guess is what I'm trying to say. I'm trying to be very boring to this big fat guy whose bike I accidentally stole um, so that he'll just get bored with partying with me and then just let me go. But finally he stops and he's like, you're not drinking that beer, right? And I was like, well, I'm drinking it, I'm drinking it. And he's like, let me show you something. Many years ago, I want to get tattoo, but mom, no, let me have tattoo. So I go to tattoo artist and I say, can you give me tattoo without my mom knowing about it? And, um, and, and, and he says, yes, I think I do that. Do you want to see where he put the tattoo? And I'm sitting there like, not particularly. And he's like, yes, you do. Come here, come here. And he starts like pulling me a little bit closer and a little bit closer to him. And then he flips back his lip. And before I can see what's, printed there if there is anything printed there he takes the beer in my hand and just like shoves it up against my mouth the bottle cracks my teeth and he just like holds it up above me for a good 20 seconds while the entire beer shotguns down my throat Now, 
Now, this is obviously kind of bad because even though I had had some drinks earlier at the hotel, my tolerance was still very low that day because there wasn't really much liquor in the drinks at the hotel. So I'm getting a little bit buzzed off of this. And of course, as you know, you start getting buzzed. You start having a little bit of alcohol in your system. It decreases your judgment. And very soon after this man shotguns this Corona down my throat, I'm thinking he's kind of a cool guy. I think I'll have like another couple of beers with him. So we're sitting there drinking and drinking and drinking. Meanwhile, just all hell is breaking loose around us, right, at the police station with the iguanas crawling around and, you know, no snakes, but there's plenty of liquor or plenty of lizards, a few, you know, like tarantulas crawling around on like this bald friend of mine's head. He's bald, by the way. I forgot to mention that. I mean, Marlon Brando, right? Only Mexican. And, you know, after a while, I'm, like, sitting around with my Spanish friend whose bicycle I accidentally stole. And I'm like, you know, you never showed me that tattoo. I never got to see it. And he's like, oh, yes? Well, I show it to you again. And he's like, come here. Come closer. Come closer. And I'm getting closer. I'm getting closer. And my my vision's kind of blurred. And he flicks his lip down. And before I can see what's printed there, he takes another beer and just shotguns it right down my throat but before the bottle can reach a full 90 degree um, angle with the ground I lose control and just jerk away from him and all of a sudden I feel my stomach just drain as I vomit all over him all over the bikini girls, all over the cabana boys, all over the police chief, everywhere. It's just like, you know, it's like a spring break fire hose, right? All over this police station. Man gets really mad. How dare you commit police? How dare you commit party foul? <laughs> That's all I remember of that. Next thing I remember, I'm staggering back through the hotel lobby. Not nearly as crowded as it was before. Night outside. I don't know if this is another situation like with the children back at the bus where something happened and, again, my brain was editing out the worst parts of it. Or if it's just like one of those drunk things that happen where you literally cannot remember how you get to someplace. But I'm staggering through the lobby kind of in and out. It's one of these like lobbies of a hotel and these places that you get in these tropical places, you know, that's like easy to walk in and out. There's no big swinging doors or anything. I guess it's like just a big covered deck or something. 
And I end up, you know, like walking around the private bungalows of the incredibly rich people who stay at these, these places. Walking in and out, walking on their decks. There's nobody really around, but there's some occasional bonfires I'm walking past that are in the fire pits. And uh, I come to this one that is actually right there on the water of the ocean. And I'm sitting there and I'm just kind of feeling the breeze coming past me. I'm like letting the island breeze sober me up a little bit to the point where I can actually remember things that happened 10 seconds earlier, 20 seconds earlier, you know, bit by bit. I look down and I see this like little fish swimming below my feet right under the dock and kind of weaving in and out of the dock posts. And, you know, it like comes right out of the water. Kind of like a character, like a cartoon character in a Disney movie. Like a, like those bluebirds that help Snow White or uh, Cinderella clean her house, right? And I reach down and I just like put my hands around this fish and just like pick it up. And I'm just like looking at this fish. Just like looking deep into its soul. <laughs> This really happened. I'm not making this up. This really happened in my dream. I'm not exaggerating it. And I drop the fish to my side and I'm just kind of carrying it in my hand, walking around, you know, this deserted deck of this private bungalow. When all of a sudden I hear like this young girl say behind me, hey, mister. And I look behind me, me and my fish turn around. And it's this young girl standing in between her parents. And she's like, what are you doing at my pit? And uh, I was like, I'm sorry. I didn't know it was yours. He's like, you need to get out of my pit. And I'm like, okay, I'll go. I'm go. And the mother behind her is be like, now be nice to the young man. He's like, but mama, he's in my pit. She says, be nice to him. And I say to him, it's okay, ma'am, I teach children. I, you know, like, okay. And she's like, okay. So, I don't want to be as rude as my daughter, but you do need to leave. You are in our pit. I assume they're talking fire pit. I don't know. Who knows at this point? So, I leave their pit. Walking back into the hotel lobby, the elevators are all out, which is bad for me because I've got a stomach full full of alcohol, not as full of alcohol as it was much earlier at the police station, but nevertheless, I'm not walking pretty. So I have to take the stairs. So I start taking the stairs up. 15 flights. I don't know how long it is. It's up there. And just deciding at this point not to even try explaining myself when I get back to the hotel room. Just knowing that nothing is going to help at this point. Explain to my wife where I've been, what's been going on, 
the things that have happened to me are so out of the ordinary that they could only happen in a dream. And I'm thinking about this as I'm walking up the stairs, flight after flight after flight, having to take breaks every like three stairs or so, three steps or so, right? To just like let the alcohol settle and get a little bit of an energy boost. And I'm halfway up to the room when all of a sudden I hear like this loud lurching. And I look up and it's coming from right above me. It's coming from like a flight of stairs right above me. And I'm like walking around the stairs and uh, seeing that it is Bill Pullman. And he's just like trashed. And I noticed that in his hands, what is making the loud lurching sound is he's pulling up this rolled up carpet up the stairs, up each successive flight of stairs. And I look in the stairs, or I look in the carpet, and there's something in there. There's some kind of like figure or some kind of like a body or something like that that's uh, he's pulling up. And drunk Bill Pullman finally gets this thing to like a landing and pulls the whole roll of carpet up. And I'm like just kind of leaning on the stairs and looking up at him and being like, Mr. Pullman, are you okay? He's like, oh, yeah, yeah. You know, I've just been up. I've been up all night. We've just been we've been hammering him down, man. And I'm like, well, where's where's Mr. Paxton? And he's like, well, I'll tell you something about Bill Paxton. That guy is method. If he's going out for a role, he does everything in his power to become that role. So I'm drinking all night long with him. And every drink I drink, he drinks too. But one thing Bill Paxton doesn't account for is that he's much shorter than me. And with that, he takes his foot, kicks the carpet roll, and it unrolls to reveal Bill Paxton. Passed out. So I leave them be, Bill Pullman and Bill Paxton, and I walk back to my hotel room prepared to face the music. And I open the door, and the lights are off, and the TV's off, and the curtains are wide open to reveal this beautiful ocean vista. And I'm... Walking in, expecting to see my wife, Jessica, passed out in the bed. And I'm like, maybe I got away with it. Maybe after I left, she went to sleep looking at that beautiful view. And uh, have hasn't been awake since. And I've just been out having this grand adventure without her. And that somehow makes me feel guilty. Even more than if I had just come back and seen her just looking at me and being angry with me. But I walk further in and I notice that Jessica's not in the bed after all. As a matter of fact, the bed hasn't been slept in. 
that's strange. I wonder if she, oh God. And now this is the worst case scenario. She's gone out looking for me. She's been out all night long looking around this entire Mexican island, not finding me. And now she is in trouble or she's lost or she's really just, you know, I, I don't even want to go that far. So I instantly lift my hand up and find out that the fish that I was holding earlier at the pit has now turned into a cell phone. And I start dialing numbers on the fish phone and I bring it up to my head. And there's two rings. And then finally she answers, what? I'm like, you're not gonna believe what happened to me. And I proceed to tell her the entire story. All about walking along the beach, helping out the young Mexican children get to the Natural History Museum, and then probably negotiating with bandits to take them as hostages. I don't know what happened there. Uh, the Honda Passport, the two Harleys crashing, the party at the Mexican police station. Bill Paxton rolled up in a carpet. Um, and all the while, I'm just kind of hearing her just like stirring something. I guess it sounds like ice and everything. And I get to the end of it and I was like, so, so I'm sorry. Like, where are you? Have you been out looking for me? I'm back at the room. Where are you? And she just says to me, no, I'm down in the bar. And quite honestly, I'm past it all. It's okay. I'm not mad at you or anything. It's just next time, let me, let me, just call me. And then I hear her take her phone off of the, off of the phone and motion to the bartender. And it's like, why don't you have any fucking umbrellas? Well, from Birmingham, Alabama, this has been the Midnight Citizen Show. I have been your host, Mike Booty. Thank you so much for joining me. Until next time, keep your eyes open.